When you are gone from this world, what will people say about you? The people that you love, your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers, what will they remember about you? What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? That is the question of today. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? We're in our series called The New Day, and what we're doing is we're looking at the resurrection, and we're looking at how the resurrection absolutely changes everything. And if the resurrection is true, do you know what that means? That means that what you do today, what you do now, what you do in this life can leave a legacy that lasts forever. It can, you can leave an absolute eternal legacy. But if the resurrection is not true, if we just cease to exist, if this is all that there is, then that means leaving a lasting legacy is impossible. That means in a lot of ways, this is all just kind of meaningless because at some point we're just gone, we're never remembered, and we're just done. But if life goes on, then that means what we do here and what we do now can echo on into eternity. Today, what we're doing is we're learning how to leave a lasting legacy the way that Thomas did. This is Thomas's new day. This is actually our second time looking, same verses. So if you're feeling like, man, did we just read those verses last week? Am I going crazy? Yes, we did. This is Thomas's new day, part two. And what we're looking at is how, how to leave a legacy. And the very first thing that you have to do if you want to leave a legacy is show specifically to show up and to meet with Christ so that he will leave a legacy in you and then after that leave a legacy through you. So last week, we dove into this story about Thomas. Specifically, we looked at how we are called to be a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community, honest conversations about faith and doubt. And what we said is, we talked about how when we create this kind of community, here's what's going to happen. Skeptics are going to make life-changing discoveries of Christ— so if you're skeptical, coming here, showing up, you will make life-changing discoveries of Christ. And if you're a Christian, showing up, you will make new life-changing discoveries of Christ that helps you grow more and more and more into who you're made to be. And I want you to realize something about Thomas. Thomas didn't show up the first week. The first Sunday, I mean, literally this is Sunday, Jesus is appearing to the disciples, and Thomas isn't there, and that's what causes his skepticism. That is what causes his doubting, because he was a no-show. And by the way, both of these appearances here are on a Sunday. When it says eight days later, this is another way of saying a week later. So both of these were Sundays, and there's, I want to tell you this, there's tons of verses in the Bible that keep telling you, meet throughout the week, meet people throughout the week, meet around Christ to meet with Christ throughout the week, but there's something special about having one day that is set aside to go and meet with God with your friends. You gather under God's word, you gather to sing, you gather to, what do we make of Christ? We're trying to figure this out together with our friends. Now, so Thomas wasn't there the first week. This is probably the worst no-show in the history of the world. 
And the question is, what was Thomas doing? Was he fishing, maybe? Um, maybe he's sleeping in because he stayed up late working on something, or maybe he just needed to sleep in, or, or maybe he had a few too many, and he's feeling like the night before, and he's feeling a little guilty, like, man, should I really go to church? I had a few too many drinks. Maybe I shouldn't, and that's the exact reason why Thomas should come, because he's forgetting about God's grace, so he needs to show up on Sunday to be reminded of God's grace. Or maybe Thomas has kids, and he's trying to get them all in the car, and so he's got three kids piled up in the car, and then one of them forgot the shoes. So he's like, okay, i got to go back and get in the shoes. But before he can get the shoes, there's a fight that breaks out in the, into the car. And he's like, oh, he stops the fight, and then he goes back in to get the shoes, but he comes out, and now all the kids are out of the car, and they're playing around in the grass, and one of the kids steps in an ant bed. So now the kid's got ants all over him, and then Thomas is like, oh, man, i got to get the ants off. So Thomas is trying to get the ants off, and then the sprinklers turn on, and everybody's wet, and Thomas is like, oh, man, I'm not coming to church today. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, by the way, if we don't show up for work, we'll get fired. If we don't show up at the gym, we get unhealthy. If we don't show up for our friends, we're a bad friend. And if we don't show up to meet with God here, then we miss him. And like, let's just be honest for a minute. Like, our our relationship with God is really, like, it's, it's not the highest priority relationship that we have. Let's just be honest a little bit. Could be maybe the least. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that we're tr- the way that we're showing up is that we're treating God as if he is not the most important relationship that we have. And what I'm trying to convince you of is that he is the most important relationship that you can have. So here's what I want to say. If you are skeptical of Christianity, showing up gives you what Thomas gets, a meeting with Christ. If you are a Christian, I, I want to tell you this. I am not at all trying to make you feel guilty. We talked about this last week, that you, can, you cannot bully people into doing something or believing something and think that you're going to get to their heart. So not at all am I at all trying to make you feel guilty to show up here on Sunday mornings. My intention is to shed some light that when you show up, God shows up. Now, hold on. Don't misunderstand me. Last week we saw that God meets you where you are, that he is pursuing you, that he is chasing you down with his grace, his relentless grace coming after you. But yet, at the same time, the Bible is also telling us that God has given us an environment called the church where we are meant to go together and gather around his word so we can meet with him, so we can figure out what to make of Jesus, so we can start to reorient our lives around him, so we can wrestle with, is this true? Is this not true? If it is, what does that mean for us? And I'm telling you, the people, I've seen this, the people who show up, the most, are the people who are growing the most. Showing up on Sunday mornings consistently, showing up in discipleship groups consistently. If you, if you will just devote your time to meeting with God and the people, all your friends who are trying to figure out what to make of God, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to grow. And you just be consistent about it. And over a year from now, you're going to say, wow, I grew far more than I realized. I didn't feel like I was growing at first, but then over a year, I look back, I'm like, yes. I was growing more than I realized. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, what I'm, what I'm saying is if you're not showing up, 
you could be missing the most important historical fact in the world, Jesus Christ. Thomas misses Jesus the first week, but then the next week he comes because his friends have been making so much of Jesus. And they've been saying, Thomas, he's risen, he's risen, he's alive, he's alive. Thomas is like, no, I don't believe it, but he shows up and makes the discovery. And then actually not just makes a discovery, but actually the skeptic becomes the teacher because he makes a discovery that the disciples had not yet made at the time. He says, my Lord and my God. He, the, disciple be, the, the skeptic becomes the teacher to the rest of the disciples. Now what I'm trying to convince you of right now is that Jesus is the most important person in your life. And I'm trying to force you decide, to decide what to make of him. I'm trying to convince you that if you want to meet with him and discover him, and if you want to grow, step one, show up. There's a saying that says, I'm closer to Christ than I am to myself. St. Augustine said this. So here's how I want you to think about this. There's a version of you way over there. But Christ comes to meet with the version of you that you are now. And that version of you over there is the version that you are one day meant to become. This is the you that you're chasing after. But here's the thing. That you was way over there. And that you doesn't even come to hang out with the current you. Doesn't want to hang out with the current you. But you know who does? Jesus. And he comes and he meets you right where you are. But he's meeting with you to take you to who you're one day meant to become. And by going to him, he begins to grow in you and grow you and grow you so that you become closer to the version that you're one day meant to be. So then the question is, how do you go to him? How do you get to him? And the answer is showing up. Step one, showing up. And look, come on, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that we've got it all together. I'm not saying that all of us in this room have it all together just by coming and being in our presence. Oh my gosh, I'm so changed. What I'm saying is that God has said the instrument, don't miss this, God has said the instrument through which I make myself known is the church. That doesn't mean that churches have not failed in the past, but when the church is hold up God's word and says, let's figure out what to make of Jesus. And, they, and the church makes much of Jesus. And the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. And when that happens, people grow and people discover Christ in new ways. And they're growing and they're flourishing in, in this faith that they didn't think at all they could have. And all of a sudden they have it and they're growing in it. And everyone's like, what is happening to this person? And here's what happened. They showed up. What I'm saying is make Sunday morning a non-negotiable. Now, okay, I understand what you're thinking right now. You're like getting a little bit annoyed. You're getting a little bit frustrated because you're like, ah, I signed up to be part of something new, something that was like exciting, something that was different. I signed up for life change, but I didn't sign up for this to be on my schedule all the time. And I understand what you're feeling. And let me, just, let me just say this. Could it be, 
And I'm speaking to myself too. I mean, I know I'm here every week, but listen, I'm speaking to myself because there are times throughout the week where I'm like, do I want to open the Bible today? I don't really want to open the Bible right now, but I open it anyways. And sometimes that's the times I have the best discoveries of Christ. All right, so here's what I'm saying. It could all be the, the, the lack of desire to show up could all be because you don't really believe that God works through his church. I mean, come on, just be honest. Like, if you're a Christian, just be honest here. There's a big part of you that doesn't think that the church can do what Jesus has promised the church can do. Look, if we trust God in the things he's promising us, then that means that we come to the realization that, oh, God has promised that I make myself known through the church, so I want to make sure that I am showing up. We, we would say, oh, man, I really believe something special is going to happen. Not through, like, some extraordinary thing, not through some, like, this fog is happening, not just the regular old discovery of this is God's word, and here's what it's saying about Jesus. And I think if we really believed what Jesus keeps telling us about his church, we would be, show- we'd be showing up and we'd be ready. We'd be ready to meet with him and we'd be ready to bring our friends in to meet with him because we're believing that what Jesus says is actually true. Now, come on, I'm speaking to Christians here. Like, we would really believe what Jesus has said here is true, so, so why would I not do this? And I don't know, look, I don't know why this happens, but you can just tell when people are growing. You can just see, you can hear it in the questions that they're asking. You can see it in the way that they're listening. You can see it sometimes in the way they're singing. And I'm not saying it's because they're lifting their hands or doing whatever. You just can tell that God is at work in them. And I don't know why. I don't know if God is preparing them for this or if just this world is just the weight of it is crushing somebody. But you can tell when God is at work. And here's what they look like. Here's what people that, that God is at work look like. They come hopeful. They come expectant that they are going to meet with God. And there's a little bit of desperation, or maybe a lot of desperation. And I would even say the more desperate we are for him, the more we're going to meet him. And the more we're going to walk through the doors of his church, his people, not the building, but his people gathered together to say, what are we going to make of Jesus Christ? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of being skeptical of what God can do through his church. And if we will show up with faith, we will begin to leave a legacy just as Thomas did and the rest of the disciples did. Okay, now let me deal with a, a thing that I hear all the time. A common mistake I hear all the time is people tend to think that our spirituality is a private matter. This is not true. You know, one of the, one of the most common, because I hear it all the time, um, 
one of the most common objections that I hear from people is, I don't really need to go to church because we want to have honest conversations with people. So I'm inviting that. So people are telling me, you know, I don't really think the church is relevant. I don't really think we need to go to church. I really think like I can go and experience God uh, on Sunday morning out in the boat. And I don't know why it is, but it's always the boat. I don't know if it's our area, but everyone's like the boat. If I can just get on the boat, I'm going to experience God there. And it's always the conversation that is like, if I can get out on the boat. Now listen, okay, we know what's happening out on the boat. You're not having some experience of spiritual ecstasy out on the boat. You're sipping back a few beers. Fine, sip back a few beers. But listen, don't claim to have like some spiritual ecstasy out on the boat because that's really that's not what's happening. It is. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not glorious because look, we're looking out at God's creation. But you can look out at God's creation. And you know what you're going to see? A beautiful creator. But you know what you find when you come here? That same beautiful, that creator who created all of that, he came and he died for you. Do you see the difference? When you see that you've got a rescuer, you could go out and enjoy creation in a completely different way. But there's this common, here's what I'm saying, there's a common thinking that our spirituality is private. If we can just get out in nature, if we can just get out on the boat, if we can just get out wherever, I really want you to understand something. Spirituality is not private. It is something that happens, not primarily on the boat, not primarily in nature, but God this is how our spirituality happens. The people, the people who are saying, what are we going to make of God? What are we going to make of Christ? And say, well, let's get into the word and let's sing about his word and let's figure it out together. That is where God is revealing himself. The Bible's saying it. God works primarily through his people gathered together to figure out what to make of him. It says in John 1.14, the word talking about God, the word of God, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Not among you, not among me, but us. And the church is called the body of Christ. So here's what, do you know what that means? I mean, the church is called the body of Christ. So that means the same way that Thomas wants to see the, the, the cuts in his side, the, where the nails went in his hands, do you know what that means? If we are the body of Christ, then that means through the wounds of people where God is at work in them, we can actually experience God through others. Something about the way God is working, when we become desperate enough for him, when we are so aware of our wounds and God starts healing us, you can actually experience God as you watch God work through other people and in them. And that isn't, again, it's not to say that the church is so great. It's to say that we have a God who is great and he is gracious enough to work through a sinner like me and like you to reveal himself to the world. Thomas missed Christ because he wasn't there the first week. And that means our spirituality is not private. Maybe he was fishing. He missed a risen Christ. Maybe he was walking around out in nature and he missed the risen Christ. All right, I was just going to say this one last thing. So average church attendance in America now is 1.8 times a month. This is for the Christian. 1.8 times a month. 
And more than ever, the church gathered together is seen as irrelevant. And more than ever, people are lonely. Individualization is a good thing. I mean, Christianity promotes this. When, When the society says that the whole is more important than the person, that the whole society is more important than the person, Christianity comes and says, yes, but guess what? God loves you, and he came and died for you, and he sings over you. The Bible is promoting this understanding that God desires you as an individual, and you have your own identity in Christ. Yet, we've swung it too far. You know we live in one of the most individualistic cultures there has ever been. We're missing the importance of authentic community, and what it has produced is it's produced loneliness that has been a major cause for depression in our society. And look, it's really easy now to have everything you need without anybody. You want to buy stuff? Go on Amazon. You can order your groceries. There's a company that will deliver your groceries for you. They will go shopping for you and bring them to your house. You can survive without ever seeing a person ever again. We need others less, and all that it's proving is that we need others more. All I'm saying is come and experience life the way that God has designed us to experience. Look, you come here. Don't come here like, I got it all together. I got to put the shell on. We come here as broken people in need and desperate for a Savior, and we're all helping each other figure this thing out together. That's what brought about Thomas's new day. And then when that happens, you will find yourself leaving a legacy you will find yourself a legacy is developing through you that will echo on into eternity. This is our second point, leaving a legacy. Now, I want to focus in on the secondary meaning of our last verse. So the last verse says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, this isn't to say, the primary meaning isn't to say that, oh, we just need to have an unreasonable faith and just believe, at, uh, just not think about it. No, what it's saying is that there's going to come a day when people are going to believe and they will have reasonable belief, but they will not see Christ. But the secondary meaning of all of this this is what we're going to focus in on, so don't miss this, is that through Thomas and the rest of the disciples' discovery because of showing up, they're going to take this word out into the world, and the world will be changed through their word about him. They will have left a legacy. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. This message going out changes the world. What the disciples do next, we will be talking about for all of eternity. And look at Thomas in particular. He's the skeptic that becomes the teacher. He starts off doubting, and then he gives the clearest and most articulate explanation of who Jesus is at this point in the Gospel of John, where he says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Do 
Thomas helps us understand that Jesus is not just some teacher, and he is not just some prophet who died for what he believed. Jesus is God come in the flesh to die on the cross for you and give his life for you because our sin is far worse than we realized it was. And then he rises from the grave so that death could be dead forever. Thomas shows up and it leaves a ripple effect that is creating waves still today. Thomas was part of building God's kingdom on the earth. A kingdom that lasts forever because he showed up, what he did is echoing on into eternity and we can be part of building something that lasts forever when we seek to build God's kingdom. And that means what you do today, when you leave here, what you do right now, it can echo on into eternity. Come on, doesn't that give you so much purpose in your life? Everything that you're doing right now can echo on forever. Just think about that. Not a wasted moment. And I think, I think that the same way that we don't really think that God is really showing up when we meet here, I think that the reason, like, the reason that we are not so occupied with building God's kingdom is because we are obsessed with building our own kingdom. See, here's the real problem. This is it. We're obsessed with our kingdom, and we can't seem to break out of wanting to build our own kingdom. We're obsessed with it, just our kingdom, and we're seeking to build our own kingdom. But here's the thing about our kingdom. Our kingdom that we are seeking to build here on this earth will one day crumble like stale crackers. I heard a quote from one of my favorite, past, one of my favorite pastors, Timothy Keller. Listen to what he says. There is nothing that makes you more miserable and less interesting than self-absorption. That's what it looks like to build our own kingdom. There's nothing that makes you more miserable and less interesting than self-absorption. People are bored by our attempts to build our own kingdom. Let's build God's kingdom. And listen, I understand it. Like, I, I do it all of the time. I'm constantly thinking about how can I do this? How can I build my kingdom? How can I build my kingdom? And I'm self-absorbed. And I, the only way for me to break out of that is to say there's a greater kingdom for me to build and to put my attention on building God's kingdom. And when I will seek, when I put my attention on building God's kingdom, then I'm stolen away from trying to build my own kingdom. All of us together showing up to build God's kingdom, to figure out how we're going to do it. So look, if you were part of a team that was like, we're going to build this awesome building, and you were part of this team that's going to do it, and, you, and all these people are showing up every day, but you weren't showing up, and you never showed up, but then at the end, the building is built, and it's beautiful, and there's this big party, and everybody's there, and there's a microphone there, and you go and grab the microphone, and you're like, oh, we did it, guys. They're going to be like, who is this person? Where has this person been? The same is true with building God's kingdom. Be part of building God's kingdom together. 
So then we ask, what does it look like to build God's kingdom? Well, again, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to show up. And here's why we've got to show up. Because we've got to figure out what it looks like to build God's kingdom. What do we do from here? So what we do is we all rally up together and we say, this is what God's kingdom looks like when it comes to Port St. Lucie. This is what God's kingdom looks like when it comes to Fort Pierce. This is what God's kingdom looks like when it comes to the Treasure Coast. And we figure it out together. As we're making much of Christ, we're figuring out what the king is like and what his kingdom is like. So we do that first, and then we say, okay, now we're ready, and we go out into our jobs, into our neighborhoods, into our families, and we live the way we've been called to live, making much of God. We're taking our crowns, and we're throwing it on the ground, and we're saying, I've got a greater king now, and he's going to teach me how to live. That's the second thing we do. The third thing we do is we get together with our friends. We say, okay, how are we going to expand his kingdom? Because there are people who don't know about this. We want them to know about it. Last week, we said that the church is like a big sailboat. And each and every single one of us are like these small sailboats. And there's this island, and this island represents paradise. It represents the place where we all long to go. Only the problem is we don't have a sail, and there's a wind at our backs that's howling right towards this paradise, but we don't have a sail, and the thing is the things of this world have a current that are pulling us away from this island. What we need is a sail, and the sail is Christ, and once we have discovered him, here's what he does. He says, as soon as we discover him, we're all on the sailboat, and he says, okay, now all of us as individuals, we go out on our smaller sailboats, or together, we go out on our smaller sailboats, and we go, and we find people who don't have a sail, and we either give them the sail who is Christ, or we bring them back to the big sailboat, and the big sailboat is saying, here are sails, here are sails. In other words, here is Christ, and the environment on this big sailboat is a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. As that happens, the world has changed because people are discovering that God is not just a concept. God is not just an idea. But he is real and he loves us and he is building his kingdom on the earth now and one day he will make all things right. In order to know any of this, you've got to show up. And the more you show up, the more you realize there is a purpose in your life, and the more you realize that you are, God has brought you where he has brought you for a purpose. There's something for you to do. That's why you are still here. I'm going to give you this challenge. Show up every week for the rest of the year. If you're in town, I'm not saying get on a plane and come back just for a Sunday, but if you're in town, show up. And make an honest attempt to say, oh man, if the church really is what, what God is saying it is, then I should, I mean, there are people, that, I have skeptical friends about, around me, and I have, and this is a great environment for them, or I have people that I know are desperate right now and they need something. Bring them with you. That's the challenge I want to give you. Okay, look. 
This is going to get your attention. I have a $100 bill. Okay? If you come every week, every week you're in town, and you find at the end of this year you are not changed, you can have this. You don't want it, though, because the change is far more rewarding. And do this. Bring your friends with you. And if you aren't surprised the way God has worked in you and through you, you can have this. But you don't want it because the reward is way better. Because here's what's going to happen. If you are skeptical of Jesus showing up, and you've got to show up open-minded. You've got to show up ready to meet him. And if you do, I bet, I bet by the end of the year, he's done something. And if you're a Christian, I bet you show up and show up and show up. I guarantee you that you're going to have found yourself, you have grown more than you thought you did by the end of the year. I bet God's kingdom will have come in you and through you far more than you realized. What I am saying is that showing up leaves a legacy through you because the first thing that happens is showing up leaves a legacy in you. Christ, an eternal God who is now dwelling in you. I'm telling you, showing up, because showing up moves you from having this idea of God, this concept of God, to actually worshiping God because you have met him. Look at what Thomas says. Thomas was the skeptic, and he says, my Lord and my God. This is a man who is in worship. This is not a man who has found a concept about God and realized, oh, wow, look at this discovery that I have found. This is a man who has met the living God and he realizes it. And he says, my Lord and my God. And when you begin to worship him, here's what happens to you. You stop being obsessed with your own kingdom and you lay down your crown because you have found a king who is worth following because he is leaving a legacy in you now. You have found the king of all kings because here's what every single person is doing. We're searching for the king of all kings and if we do not find him, we will make ourselves the king and all we will do is build our own kingdom. But again, all of this you have to take the risk of going all in. St. Augustine says, I believe so that I might understand. Not I understand so now I believe. I believe so that I might understand. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying you've got to go all in with him. You can't look at him from a distance. You can't make an assessment of him and decide what you're going to do because you'll never know him the way you need to know him. You have to go to him and wrap your arms around him and let him wrap your arms, his arms around you. You have to dive all the way in or else you will never understand him and you will always stay at a distance. You cannot, you, faith is reasonable, but you can't reason yourself into faith. It's always a risk, no matter what. And if you will take the risk, what you find 
is that despite it all, God really has come. And he has come for you. And he has come to give his life for you. And he has come to be crushed under the weight of your sin and my sin and the world's sin so that he might do something new in you and through you. And so he might do something new in the world. This is what the resurrection means. That God's kingdom is alive and it has come because the king is alive and he's back. If you will go all in, you will see that God has given everything for you. And then you will worship him and it will leave a passion inside of you to leave a legacy forever. And that is how what you do today can echo on into eternity. God, I pray that as we're here, that nobody right now would feel guilty. But God, we would feel a renewed sense that you are at work through your church. God, help us to believe this. You've promised us. you promised us that you have given the world your church and the church is an outpost for your kingdom. So God, we pray now that we would be that church, that we would be faithful in making much of you and that we would all gather together, none of us having it all together, but to say we know the king who has it all together and we would come and reorient our lives around you, God. Teach us how to do this. God, in the parts that are inside of us that are skeptical of all this, God, I pray that you would massage them out, that you would pull them out of us and throw them. Cast them away from us so that we can finally go all in with you and actually experience you for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.